Hey everybody, it's Amanda Reyes with the Made for TV Mayhem show. I've turned the light down low. I've got my candlelight going. Got a little champagne, a little vodka because that's what I do. And I'm ready to make it a little romantic for our late entry Valentine's Day episode. I've only got one partner tonight, but you only need one partner on Valentine's Day, don't you? Dan? How are you, Amanda? I, <laughs> I heard you, you sound like you're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a bowl of chili and some warm champagne, and I'm ready to go. Well, that doesn't seem as romantic. Well, that's, uh, you know, that, that may come up later in the episode, why I have that. I'm commemorating <laughs> something, something. It's a very special moment in an upcoming film. I think of Valentine's in love. I often don't think of chili. I have to tell you. You know what? I I wouldn't recommend chili on Valentine's <laughs> Day. To be honest, go go for something calmer than that. A nice salad. How about that? Have a nice salad, a pasta, and a glass of wine. Pasta. Everybody has yes, pasta. Exactly. Yep. You know why? Because every man gets it in their head that they're going to make the Valentine's Day dinner, and then eighty percent of the men out there are like, "Oh my God, I don't cook." And then they're like, mm-hmm. "What can I do?" And it's like, well. I could make SpaghettiOs, or I could class it up a bit <laughs> with a little just regular pasta, right? I thought you were going to say class it up a bit and do the um, SpaghettiOs with the uh, meatballs in them. Ooh, but I'm a vegetarian. Oh, that's right. Yeah, maybe there's a veggie um, variation of the and, SpaghettiOs. Anyway, I think we're losing the moment. We, we only want to speak of love tonight. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so... Yes, so, we, do, we do the SpaghettiOs <laughs> conversation is for another episode. So what we did here is we've turned the lights down low. We've lit our candles. I'm wearing my uh, Sunday best, even though it's Thursday. Just roll with it. And... We're going to talk about two romantic comedies. I think neither one Dan has seen. Is that right, Dan? That is right, yep. And I'd only seen one of them myself. So tonight we're going to talk about Every Man Needs One. And I think Every Man Needs Two Things. One is obviously Connie Stevens. Every Man Needs Connie Stevens. And I think Every Man Needs a Script. Mm -hmm which I'm not sure this film had. So so we'll talk about that. <laughs> but those are two things I think men need. I'm just saying. I'm trying to stereotype men, but I think they could use Connie Stevens in a script most times. Um, and then our second movie is called More Than Friends, which starred Penny Marshall and Rob Reiner. And that one didn't need a script because it has a really good one. So um, we're just going to go in chronological order here. So what we're doing is we're doing a twofer. So we came in kind of late because I was busy traveling this month. I went to L.A. and hung out with Dan a little. And I gave another one of my talks. Yes. And that took up a lot of time. And then when I got back, I had some work piled up. And so we put everything kind of off. But we decided to make it sort of a love in not just with the movies we've chosen, but that we're also going to commemorate two amazing performers who left us last year, and that would be Ken Berry and Penny Marshall. So that's how this double feature came to be. So before we get into the movie itself, I just want to give you a little background on Ken Berry. So we're doing Every Man Needs One First. It came out in 72. We're doing this chronologically. Um, So let me just tell you a teeny, teeny, tiny bit about Ken Berry, um, who had this amazing life. So Ken Berry, when he was young, he idolized Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire, um, became very interested in dancing at the age of 12, 
15, he began to tap, and he actually won a local competition, which led to touring in Europe and the United States. He served in the military afterwards, and then he was offered work um, or to do screen tests in major studios. He landed some kind of contract with Universal, which was great because part of the contract was that you take dancing and acting classes, so he really got to hone his craft during that time. Um, in 1956, he actually opened up for Abbott and Costello in Las Vegas, and he played Caesar Palace in the 70s with Dick Van Dyke and Andy Griffith, which must have been absolutely amazing. Um, I had no idea that Andy Griffith or Dick Van Dyke actually played Vegas. I could see Ken Berry. I can't necessarily see Andy Griffith, but he was a comedian, so I guess that makes sense. Um, Although music was his first love and dancing, he came into his own as an actor, playing the bumbling Captain William Paramenter. I hope I pronounced that right. Parmenter? Of all the characters he played, it was F Troop that he would remain the most fond of because he said it was his first big role, and also it was that they entrusted him with aiding in the development of his character, which, you know, is pretty rare in television. He was also on the Andy Griffith Show and Mayberry RFD as Sam Jones, and I don't mean Sam Jones, the guy who played Flash Gordon. This is a different Sam Jones, so don't get that image in your head. Two different guys. Um, he found long-term work as Vinton on Mama's Family, and he guested on in a huge amount of TV, which is where I really came to know him. Um, he was on Fantasy Island, Love Boat, Chips, The Golden Girls, um, many, many others. He was also noted for his Kenny Shoe ads, uh, which showed off his incredible dancing skills. And to be honest, that's where I think I first developed my crush for him. Um, those ads were great. I don't know. Do you remember the Kenny Shoe ads? I've, I seem to vaguely remember them. Yeah, I could probably look one up, but yeah, I, I, I think I remember those, yeah. Hello, Americans! Stop dragging your feet! Wear kitties when you're going to go out on a date. Look great! But do you know your feet need a little love? Kitty knows! What an agonizing, enterprising, hard-headed day you spend working overtime. You! Save it small! You! When you, you need shoes for it all, I say comfort and style. If you're young at heart or young enough to remember, come to Kitty and It was it was surprising to me because I must have had some frame of reference for him because I remember thinking to myself, wow, he's a dancer. It was kind of like, even though the Dr. Pepper ads came out before American Wolf in London, it was weird for me to think of David Naughton as a dancer because I guess I came to know him as an actor first. Sure, yeah. And then I would see those ads again mm-hmm. and I'd be like, wow, I can't believe that's David Naughton. It's kind of the same thing. And Ken Berry had his own variety show, which was called The Wow Show. That ran in 1972. <laughs> And if none of that won your heart, I think everybody should remember that he was also in The Cat from Outer Space, which is like the greatest movie ever made, mm-hmm. I think that needs to be said. Um, yes. So Ken Berry wasn't in a huge amount of TV movies, but during this era, the late 60s and early 70s, he appeared in Wake Me When the War Is Over, which was an ABC movie of the week from 1969, an adaptation of Lil Abner. Uh, something called The Reluctant Heroes. He was in Once Upon a Mattress with Carol Burnett, which is great because he was also on The Carol Burnett Show. Um, I think a lot of his stuff got edited out in syndication because I think he did mostly the dance numbers. He was in, of course, mm-hmm. Every Man Needs One, which we're talking about tonight, and something called A Letter from Three Lovers, which sounds super enticing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cam Berry passed away last year in, uh, on December 1st, um, and it was really sad for me because he's been a presence. He's kind of like a Burt Convy to me. He's that guy that you saw in everything. Mm-hmm. He didn't host a game show, but he had this sort of affable, lovable, goofy demeanor about him that I found really charming mm-hmm. and effortless. Um, it, he just felt so natural in whatever he was doing and likable, likable, I think is the big word there. And, oh, do you guys remember he was in, um, that pilot episode of the Brady Bunch? Do you remember that, Dan, where he adopted the three kids? Oh yeah. Yeah. With the kids, the kids. Yep. Yep. Right near the end of the, the run. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth season. Yeah. Yeah. He did mm-hmm. that and he was perfect choice for that. And that was like a semi-progressive thing because there was like an Asian kid, a black kid and a white kid. Do you remember that? He was going to just adopt the white kid. Mm-hmm. 
and he had the two best friends. Yes. And so Kim Berry mm-hmm. and the actress playing his wife, who's I can't remember now off the top of my head, decide to adopt all three kids. And so it was supposed to be like sort of a – it's kind of interesting because Brady Bunch was progressive in its own way because it was about extended families and the face of the family was changing in the 70s. But I won't go into that. That's for my lecture, I guess. But anyway, so Kim <laughs> Berry did all of that and more. And he was incredible. I think his last TV appearance, though, was pretty far back. I think he really enjoyed his retirement and had been sort of out of work um, – on his own accord for many, many years and he was greatly missed and he's greatly missed now. Mm. So I think we should just get into the film, Dan. Do you want to go ahead and tell us what every man needs one is about? If you can figure it out, that is, you know, I'm not going to go too crazy on it. I'm going to keep it as simple-ish as I can. Did you just say simple-ish-ish? Simple. I'm going to keep this simple-ish-ish. I I think that's my new description. Difficultery. That'll be when it gets really complex. <laughs> okay. Complexity. But this one's going to be kept simpleicious. It's the story of David <laughs> Chase, the man who created The Sopranos. No, I'm kidding, of course. This is David Chase, uh, an architect. Uh, and he, we actually first see him on a motorcycle. And he, he, when we see him on the motorcycle, it looks like he's kind of he's going to be cool, but he can't ride a motorcycle very well. And he's yeah, a little bit. Um, he's a little dopey. Um, but he's also, he's kind of a swing bachelor kind of guy. He has a great house by the beach in Los Angeles. He has a secretary named Nancy who is endowed with all the secretarial things you'd imagine in 1972. Um, he has a mother who wishes that he was married and who keeps bringing up a gal uh, named Louise Lathrop, I believe is her name, who he was engaged to years ago, like 15 years ago or something like that. But David doesn't care about that. He's a swinging guy. He's got a waterbed. Uh, Nancy, the secretary, comes in and spends lunch at times with him, if you know what I mean. That would be delicious. No, delicious. Bubblicious? No, I'm just no, trying no, to come no, up no, with new no. words and I'm going to uh, stop. Ha- like, hashtag me too. No. Just keep going. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, everybody. So yeah, so uh, yeah, he Pulls around with the secretary at lunch, and he has a um, an architect who works for him, played by Henry Gibson. His name is Walt, and Walt has what I guess we would call now IBS. He's always talking about getting sick. Ha ha! How funny! It's pretty, it's pretty hilarious. Uh, and David makes um, uh, like a mobile homes. recreational vehicle parks or something, I believe he calls them. And he is about to see an architect named E.L. Walden, whose resume he really likes, and he's going to hire E.L. until it turns out E.L. is Beth Walden. Uh Uh-oh, E.L.'s a woman. How can a woman be an architect? What do they know about building, building anything? And so David and Beth kind of don't hit it off, and she can see immediately that he's a He's a, what is it, MCP, male chauvinist pig? That's right, sister. She brings him up in front of the deputy commissioner. Do you remember Miss Walden's qualifications? Mm, vaguely, yes. Uh, she had some experience in the field, but so had the other applicant. Come now, Mr. Chase. I'm, I'm sure you can do better than that now, can't you? According to her resume, Miss Walden had been engaged in the design of two recreational vehicle complexes within the past year. And the other applicant? Oh, he he had plenty of experience. He he was he he was a a, a very experienced person. He, uh, he designed the restrooms for a campground in Oklahoma. Did you, by any chance, know that uh, Miss Walden was a woman? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, fine. 
there'll be no further questions, we'll adjourn now. What? Adjourn what? Wait a minute. I haven't had a chance to say anything. Well, this is just a preliminary hearing, Mr. Chase. Our purpose is to decide whether or not there are sufficient grounds to warrant uh, a court action by the Fair Employment Practices Commission. Well, are there? Well, I can't say, but you'll receive a written determination uh, within 48 hours. Mm. But off the record, Mr. Chase, and without disclosing my official recommendation, I'd be most happy to tell you what I think. And what I think, Mother, is that you are one lame turkey. And if the commission don't get you, I will personally advise the sister here how to nail your rear end for every penny you got. You getting the picture, sugar? Turkey. Wow. He, <laughs> that's that's the uh, deputy commissioner for you. I'm, I'm a little unsure what exactly she's the the, the uh, deputy commissioner of. Of jive turkeyness, man. Of <laughs> being just the calling out jive turkeys that's is right. what it is. Calling out jive turkeys. That pays 20 grand a year. <laughs> and you get your own office and your own coffee maker. So David has to hire Beth for 30 days. And so Beth kind of shows up, and Beth drives an RV, and she shows up early in the morning when David's still asleep on his waterbed, and she takes over part of his office because it's the only place she says she can have room to move around in. And she basically spends quite some time um, going against sort of every way that he works and kind of annoying him. And and what ends up happening is, well, she, well first off, she begins to make the rest of the she, – she talks to Nancy – about the lunches, and so Nancy begins to go against that. She talks to Walt a bit, and Walt seems happier, less sick to his stomach. And what ends up happening is, and I don't know the name of this friend of his, I want to say, is it Marty? David ends up uh, a night or two later in a bar with his friend Marty, and Marty tells him, you never take guff from a woman, and the problem is she's probably never been with a real man, so you go over there right now, and do just that. David Chase. Hi, what do you want? <laughs> what do I want? It's not what I want. It's what you want. <laughs> David. Oh, you're drunk. Huh? Oh. I am a man. A real man. Yeah, well, you smell more like a real goat. Yeah. Uh-uh, now, that is guff, see? Guff. And I don't pick guff. David, you're making a real fool out of yourself. Just sit down. What are you doing here? I am here because I am a real man. And I am going to make a real woman out of you. About. I, I said I am going to make a real woman out of you. I know what you said. I just don't know what you mean. What, what it means is... Uh, what it means... I forgot what it means. The goat won't take guff, but he also can't hold his liquor. Yes, no, no, not not at all. And uh, that that um, that little evening doesn't actually um, stop Beth from uh, leaving 
the firm. She comes back the next day. And um, oddly enough, her and David, they end up stranded in the middle of nowhere uh, in her RV. And uh, they, they spend the night together. And they have uh, sex a few times after eating chili and warm <laughs> champagne, which just made me a little nauseous. That's right. <laughs> and and what, what ends up happening is she, um, um, Beth treats it very much like, hey, you know, we were together. We, it was biology. We had some fun. But David's starting to fall for her. And then they sort of begin to hang out and they have a romantic montage together. And they begin to fall in love until, uh-oh, David's mother calls Louise Lathrop. His fiance for I believe three years, who he's ne- who never slept with, is divorced and wants to see him. Oh boy! Ah, uh, no, no, thank you. I'm I'm drinking. Well, it's gold. I mean, they always tell you that, but you know, whatever it is, it's very good stuff. It really. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Maybe you don't. Do I eat? Oh, I do. I do. Sure. Sometimes. I mean, uh, I have, but. Not much. Well, David, I mean, you live in California. Doesn't everybody turn on in California? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. Oh, right. I get it. It's still booze in the four freshmen. What? You remember our days, David, when we used to get drunk and listen to the four freshmen oh, and yeah. hope our mothers wouldn't notice the fur balls on Aaron Gore's sweaters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now it's Creedence Clearwater and Acapulco Gold and there's no such thing as Angora sweaters. No. Or mothers. <laughs> no. I think, I'll, I think I'll wrap it up there because what happens is Beth insists that David sleep with Louise to see what that's like. And Beth and David end up having an argument and Beth ends up storming out and going to uh, spend a weekend at Mammoth, a ski resort, with a guy named Bob Rasmussen. That's right. She's with Bob and David's with Beth. uh, uh, Beth's with Bob and David's with Louise. And um, will our couple get back together? Will they fall in love? I'm not going to say. Will they ever finish that RV thing they're doing? I'm not going to say right now. But you can probably guess where it might be going. And I just realized that Walt, his friend, or Marty, his friend, who tells him, you know, to to take care of Beth because she's never had a real man, is played by the director, Jerry Paris. That's right. And I'll that's, stop there. That's right. Um, yeah, so neither one of us had ever seen this movie before. It turns out it's quite rare, um, which is surprising in a way. Um, but I was curious to check it out because I thought the idea of seeing Ken Berry and Connie Stevens in the same room together would be amazing. And it was, but uh, I'll go first here. So I like this movie a lot, but I think it's all over the map. What I like about it is, and in, in some ways it's without giving too much away about the next film, both films are really about just two people hanging out together in rooms and not a lot of other stuff happens. It's it's very dialogue driven. And that's fine. I think they did a really good job. And here's where I think they excelled at it. If you watch the movie, if anybody out there watched along, or if they get a chance to see it, notice that there's constant movement between the two actors. Like when they're in a room together, they're never just sitting somewhere talking. One of them standing up and walking across the room. One of them's going to get a sandwich. There's constant activity, which kind of keeps the pace going, which I think is really well done. 
I think the problem is, is that it starts off as something like the feminist and the fuzz, which is like got a specific kind of idea about that it wants to dress like second wave feminism. And it starts to, and then it kind of doesn't know what it wants to be like halfway into the film. And then it becomes like a love story, but I don't really understand the love story. And I don't know why it exists, <laughs> but, but the two characters mm. are engaging and the actors are really wonderful so it's watchable and it's fun it's got a lot of laugh out loud moments to it but i don't necessarily understand the purpose of it it felt like it sent out to do something and then it forgot it was doing something and then it just kind of went ahead and did something else i guess and and so it was kind of confusing i think in a way not that you can't follow the story it's just it's unfulfilled, I think, is what happened. And also, we lose track of, like, um, Henry Gibson and Carol Wayne, the secretary and the guy who works there. They just disappear. So, like, when yeah. Carol Wayne, and I can't remember her character's name now, but when the secretary starts to get more sort of empowered. Nancy. Yeah, because of Connie Stevens' character. Um, you think it's going to lead to something, right? Like, bigger for her. Because she's kind of like this dopey blonde, or ditzy, I guess is the right word, ditzy blonde, who's basically just letting her boss have his way with her without any kind of hope of it ever going anywhere. And then you think it's going to go somewhere with her personally, like she's going to go on this journey where she breaks off from him, and she does, but then that's it. Like, you don't really see anything else with her. She just disappears. So, like, characters come and go. And they don't necessarily make sense why they're there. And so it's a really strange okay. film for me. But I think as just a 74-minute comedy, it's got a lot of really great light touches to it. It's breezy. It's super breezy. I think the actors are great. I think Ken yes. Berry looks amazing. And he's perfectly adorable in this. And even though he plays kind of a louse, I think he loosens up on his sort of idea of what a woman should be really quickly. So that's kind of nice. So, And also that mm -hmm. scene I played, that sort of rapey, he really like lets go of that. I'm going to make you a woman thing real fast. So like he's not mm -hmm. a jerk at all, I think. I think he's got jerky qualities, but he also evolves as the film progresses, which is kind of nice. So so there's there's nothing unlikable about the film. It's just, I think it's just not structured very well or it loses its ideas partway into it. But it's 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 a good 74 minutes. I think. What do you think, Dan? I, I you you hit on most of the the thoughts I had on it. I uh, I didn't think it was particularly funny. Uh, t to me, it's it's just kind of two people yelling at each other for seventy five minutes, which has its charms. Luckily, like you said, Jerry Paris keeps everyone moving, uh, especially during like the the scene where she goes into David's office, and where we're inside his office. And the wall opposite us is windows that where you can see Walt and other spaces in his house. And they're and and David is constantly like moving back and forth. He's behind the glass. He's yelling in at her. He's moving all around. There's kind of a really nice use of space there. Yeah, the, the structure is really weird because they they really I mean pour on the fact that these characters don't don't seem to like each other one iota. And then all of a sudden they're having the chili and the warm champagne and sleeping together. Then they kind of come apart a bit. Then they have a romantic montage. That's right. And then Beth is saying, well, you should sleep with Louise and see what that's like. And I, 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 I kept feeling like there, there were moments when I thought, okay, I, I think I get what's going on. But there, there were other moments where I thought, okay, there's something very 1972-ish maybe about this where I'm not quite understanding the way this works. Because I get the um, – they're arguing, they're arguing, and then they fall in love. But there are just a few moments where there are leaps like from the 
uh, arguing, and then he goes out on his motorcycle, crashes his motorcycle, then a few minutes later they're sleeping together. There are certain leaps where it's like it, it feels like bits are missing. Like maybe it was supposed to be longer or something, or or maybe they're like, well, you know, they're going to sleep together, so why include all that middle bit? Yeah, why? Yeah, why? Well, and and I mean, everyone's you know pretty charming, and I mean, obviously, I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, Marty and his his attitude towards uh, the ladies, uh, but it, I I do like the fact that um uh you have Beth is very um seventy two women's lib, and David is the opposite, like he's never even. I sort of heard of this going on, but there was a lot of fun time spent with David. I did like the thing where Beth keeps saying that David is insecure, and then there hits a point where they confess their love to one another, and they both become insecure. And she says something like, "Oh, isn't it great just you know hearing two insecure people talk or something like that?" And I thought that was really nice. I hesitate to say I wish the film were a little more subtle, but I sometimes I wish the film were a little more subtle. It's it is it is literally two people yelling at one another. Or having these romantic montages and things like that, which I liked, but by the end, I it, I was a little I, I found it a little exhausting. Uh, however, the version we watched had commercials in it. That's right. And those commercials were a perfect break to just calm me down, and <laughs> I could take some breaths, and then I could carry on. Those were from Vegas. Yes, yes, those are Vegas, but those are great ones. I love the 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 lady with the red hair who talked about um, furniture. Or what did she talk about? I forget. It was like two thirds of the way in. I was like, I really like her. And then there's a lot of commercials about the lottery, which is weird because I don't think that you can have a lottery in Vegas because um, it's a gambling town, and I don't think that they have lotteries. Mm-hmm. I think a lottery is a separate thing. Okay. So yeah, because I remember something where they kept flashing amounts like nine hundred thousand dollar lottery winner. Da 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 da. And I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, it was like a booklet you could buy to win lotteries. Yes, yes. I called the number. It ain't working anymore. Uh, so I, I think overall it's worth watching. I I, uh, I I didn't love it, but it's definitely worth a viewing. Everyone's really good in it. It's it kept me amused, although somewhat exhausted. And like you said, the structure is really odd. It keeps feeling like it's going to be about something and then it's suddenly somewhere else and then it's over here and then it's over there and then the end is a madcap sort of chase thing sort of and it's like huh okay well i guess they're they it was almost like someone wrote a regular romantic comedy without any of the women's lib stuff or the insecure male stuff and then someone else came in and said no we need to have this and they kind of grafted that onto it it's it's not bad but i i, I think i think it's worth a viewing not not a favorite of mine though yeah, no, I do want to point out though um, that Louise, played by Louise Sorrell, this was my favorite performance of hers by far. Now I've talked about her briefly in the Mazes and Monsters episode. She played Chris Makepeace's mom. Do you remember the lady that was always changing the interiors of the? Oh yeah. And she drives me nuts. Yep. Normally the actress, and <laughs> uh, I mean seriously nuts. And I don't like to disparage any actor, but she's one actress I just have no patience for. And she is so good in this as the girlfriend who likes to smoke pot and is kind of into being yes. divorced and like just kind of enjoying her life <laughs> and thinks that she has a chance with David again and she's really good in the part I just think she did a really good job she looks lovely um, she's wearing this great funky outfit this like brown like bodysuit thing I think with this like bell bottomy and whatever she's looking super cool in it mm-hmm. and um and she was a highlight for me and that's saying something because um I normally don't like her and I think that that's a testament to the actors dealing with what they had because I feel like yes. 
I feel like everybody's kind of at the top of their game, even though the script kind of isn't. And that, and I think that's really great. Yeah. I think that everybody came in and they were like, let's just do what we can. And that's no offense to Carl Kleinschmidt's script. I'm sure he's a wonderful man. But I think Jerry Paris saw that at least it needed movement. Like he understood the pacing was going to be off if he didn't yes. keep the actors moving. And so you can tell that there was a lot of thought in putting it together in terms of how it would look at the end. It's just that maybe it could have had a couple more rewrites or somebody could have sat Carl down and said, look, Carl, parts of this are not yeah. working. Calm down. Here, here's a cigar, yeah. Carl. Yes. Let's just sit with us for a minute. <laughs> i got to tell you, this is problems, Carl. Yes. Some, <laughs> some problems. Yeah, this, this is all it's <laughs> all place. but i told i told jerry to play marty yeah we know we know but there's still this is all over the place yeah yeah we need some help here and it's yeah and, and the way it sort of just starts off with the the with david um david on the motorcycle david with nancy david on the waterbed and just all this all this stuff and it seems to be going in a direction there but then beth shows up and the deputy commissioner and then it kind of goes over here and then um i do like i, I forget what he calls beth cuz beth shows up in her rv and he says i forget he says like he calls her like a lumberjack oh that's right he does yeah yeah, he, and he says, "What, what, with your, uh, with your, with your suits and your RV and your your lumberjack clothes?" And I, I think, oh, oh, closet lumber. She's a closet lumberjack. Okay, I think, I think I get you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's interesting because Nancy Walker is only on the phone. She plays the mom, and she's only got like two phone calls in the movie. But one thing I wanted to mention briefly was that David Chase's office is his house. And it's incredible. Yes. It's an incredible house. Mm. It's right there on the beach somewhere. It's gorgeous. And I think it is interesting what you say because when he comes in on the motorcycle, you get this definite idea that he's kind of this good-looking but goofy guy that doesn't kind of understand himself yet. But then when he's in the apartment working, he's like a stud. So it's like it's conflicting yes. what the character's doing. It it just doesn't make a lot of sense. What What we're both saying is... This does not make any sense, but it's got really great actors who are doing their best to make it watchable. And they do a pretty good job at it. An another example is that, that the insecure thing. Uh, the, the thing when he's he's clearly not insecure with his secretary, and he doesn't seem to be insecure with the business he's doing. And even though he rides a motorcycle terribly, that doesn't seem to bother him. But when Beth says, you're insecure, suddenly his character becomes insecure. And the second time I watched it, I was like, "Can you see that?" I, I guess, I guess maybe it's a guy who's so sort of insular in his beach house doing his recreational vehicle things that when he has someone come in from the outside, they could see like, "Oh man, you're 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 a little messed up. You you need some help or something like that." But it's not quite conveyed by the character until she says it, and then you go back and look at it again. You know, that's 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 Carl Kleinschmidt for you. <laughs> it's a Kleinschmidt through and it's through. It's a Kleinschmidt. Such a exactly. Schmidt. <laughs> I mean, his stamp, his signature is all over it. Yes, his signature is all I will change the motivations of my character eight times within the 74 minutes, and that's a guarantee. It's a Kleinschmidt. <laughs> I was surprised. I was surprised. Now, I do uh, – obviously, Jerry Paris, I know from directing all those episodes of Happy Days and Police Academy 2 and 3, and I was very surprised. One of his, one of his big things – to me, uh, with Happy Days, one of his directorial signatures is being able to see the top of the set or the edge of the set. And I don't remember seeing the edge of any sets or top of any sets in this one. Surprised you. It did. It really did. 
I guess I guess you do like a hundred episodes of Happy Days, and suddenly it's like, uh, Jerry, those are the lights. Ah, forget about it. Just keep going. Nobody's <laughs> well, he, nobody's looking. He stopped caring about hair and fashion, so why not? <laughs> true, true. That's Marty. That's a that's a Paris. That, yeah, that's that really is kind of, and he produced it too. Oh, Ooh, I didn't realize yeah. that. He's got he's acting, producing, directing, along with uh, Aaron Spelling and Leonard Goldberg. Yes, yeah. So that's. Every man needs one. I'm not sure there's a lot to say about this one, is there, Dan? I'm looking through my notes, and I really don't see much there. There, there is a funny bit um, where, uh, okay, a bit I think that made me laugh out loud was when they're discussing machismo. Oh yeah, and uh, they're the. Um, and and Beth says that to David, and and it's it's that that scene actually made me laugh out loud. Uh, but apart from that, yeah, there's really not much to say. It's it's a very. I mean, we could talk about the ending briefly if you want. Should we? I mean, I don't. Do we want to spoil it for people? I mean, I mean, it's it's not a tragic romantic comedy. I'll say that. Well, Is that a spoiler? There's not much to spoil because you know he goes to find her at Mammoth, which is this snow-capped mountain in. California that I've always wanted to go to never did because it's like six hours away from LA but she goes there yeah with Rasmussen or whatever his name is and um and Ken Berry follows her David Chase follows her and then he's like he finds out that she didn't do what she said she was going to do or insinuated she was going to do and so she gets on this bus to go home and David follows her, and hilarity ensues because the bus driver thinks he's being, like, hijacked or something ridiculous. To Cuba, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And and then they end uh, up, like, on the side Klein of the road. Schmidt. It's a Kleinschmidt through and through, yeah. guys. I'm telling the signature stuff here. Signature stuff. It's slightly amusing, but there is there is just something about it where they're, they're just trying to ramp up the, will he be able to stop the bus on time? But it's a bus. He can just follow the bus. You know, the bus has to stop eventually. It's not like it's out of control. It's not like it can't stop. Why stop it? Because he can fi- he, they can fix everything when she gets home. It's not like if she's getting married on the bus. Yes, exactly, exactly. And he, he she's already shown that she's not going to quit the job. So, so she'll be there the next day or whatever it is. She didn't sleep with anybody either. I mean, there wasn't anything anybody had to, like, go back on. Like, there wasn't, like, whatever. So, Kleinschmidt... Yeah. It's a Kleinschmidt. Let's yeah. just keep it at that. It's a, you got it. You got it. Yes. So anyway, everybody ends up happy. Yes. Yeah, except I hope Walt is happy. You know what? I'd love it if we saw Walt and Nancy together at the end. No, I think he should have ended up with uh, no, the commissioner. Because <laughs> he needs to be told yeah, his jive turkey ass needs some work. Yes. Oh, yeah. Henry Gibson used to hear that every day. Yeah, oh, I and by the way, this is our second Henry Gibson thing because we did Escape from Bogan County last month, and he's in that. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a little he. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't fully understand his character in this um, because he. I don't think he's a full on architect yet because he keeps mentioning having to take a test. That's right, like the bar exam or something. Yeah, he's like an, the, an apprentice architect who who David just keeps around for IBS jokes. Eh, wah, wah. I guess that's wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's all I have on this. It's um uh yeah, there's there's really not much to it. I do like I have a one note here that's um when David leaves Louise and she says something like, What about dinner? And he throws some money and says, Call the chicken place. And he may say something like, The delivery guy's really good looking or something like that. And then he runs out and she does a neat thing where she's sitting on the edge of the bed and she kind of rolls all the way back 
and forward again, which is kind of fun. There are little great little moments peppered in here, and um, I, I guess the one the last thought I had is every, that montage, the, the romantic montage. I just feel like Beth wouldn't get involved in a romantic montage like that. <laughs> or do you think, am I wrong? I don't know. I mean, I feel like she fell so easily because what I liked so much about what was happening was that his, so David Chase's big thing with the secretary was, you know, don't mix up biology with emotion. And he was pretty set on that because that's a dude thing, I guess, or whatever. And he didn't want her to get all caught up in it. And then he had it put back in his face, the exact words. And when he had developed feelings, right, for Beth. And so I kind of liked that. You know, it's interesting because I can't tell what this movie's trying to say. It's it's trying to say to an extent that if you sleep with somebody, you're going to fall in love with them. Because I don't mm-hmm. see any other reason why Beth would hook up with David in a long-term way. Because they yeah. do seem like polar opposites. And I don't necessarily think that the chemistry is there aside from biology. So, like, so like I'm not real sure... Like I don't, I could see her in a romantic montage, just not with David Chase, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And okay, it's confusing. Right. Yeah, it's it it is it is a confusing film. It does, like you said, it seems very straightforward until you focus, and then the more you focus, the more it seems like a disconnected series of romantic comedy scenes that were all kind of put together from assorted movies that don't fully connect. Correct, Mundo. Yes. Yeah. Hey. All right. I'm just I'm pulling a Paris <laughs> on you guys. So um, <laughs> so uh, let me just do the background then, and which there's not a ton of because this was a film that didn't get a lot of attention when it came out. Imagine that. Um, so it uh, originally aired on December 13th, 1972, on ABC. It was an ABC movie of the week. It ran against on NBC something called the Apollo 17 mission, which I think was like a little documentary about Apollo 17, and an episode of Macmillan and Wife. On CBS, it ran against what must have been the coolest night of TV ever, Harlem Globe, the Harlem Globetrotters Popcorn Machine, which co-starred. What? Wait. Which co-star Teresa Graves, isn't that the lady who played the mom in Crawl Space or the wife? And, and, and it featured Bill Cosby, Dom DeLuise, Norm Crosby, because you need more than one Crosby. Oh, I I guess that's Cosby. I'm getting that mixed up. (laughs) Wait a minute, never mind. That doesn't matter. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Close enough. It's a college bit. Yeah. I'm drinking all this champagne. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, and it also features Gene. (laughs) The chili has got me. (laughs) It also don't. I don't want to know. It also features Gene Stapleton and Sally Struthers. And after that, because there wasn't enough good TV, was an episode of Medical Center. So wow. it ended up ranking number 33 for the week with an 18.3 slash 21, which just means that 18.3 million homes with televisions were tuned in to uh, Every Man Needs One on the night it aired, which represents 21% of the television viewing audience, which is pretty small for back then. Um, and Apollo 17 and Medical Center only ranked slightly higher. I think that was just an off night for TV in terms of ratings. As we mentioned, this was directed by Jerry Paris, who did Happy Days. And he was also an actor, as we mentioned. Um, he had actually been on stuff like the Dick Van Dyke show prior to this. So it's interesting that you said he directed the Police Academy movies or some of them, because I didn't know that. His son, Andrew, played Bud Kirkland in some of them. Oh, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, he he did. Oh yeah, that's right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. He did. He did two and three, and two is the first one with uh with uh the Kirkland family. 
Oh, great. So, so that's our Jerry Paris. Uh, he did, he did seven TV movies in 1972. Seven. These are the titles. Whoa. Yeah. Every Man Needs One, <laughs> Help Incorporated, or Help Inc., The Couple Takes a Wife, Keeping Up with the Joneses, Wednesday Night Out, the classic Evil Roy Slade, and another movie he made with Connie Stevens called Call Her Mom, where I think she becomes like a fraternity house mother or something like that. Uh, just a little note about Carl Kleinschmidt. He just mostly wrote episodic TV, which makes sense. It sounded like he was trying to like take 30 minutes into a 74-minute format. And that's why it became such a Kleinschmidt. Yeah, it's like a Love American style, like 20-minute yeah. episode getting extended almost. Yes. And so we love Ken Berry. I don't know that there's a better movie to represent him as far as TV movies go. Maybe Little Abner. But this is it, man. This is it. It wasn't until he played Vin. <laughs> Turn it up. It's Rita Rock. <laughs> Sorry. I became a 70s hippie all of a sudden. It's Rita Rock, man. We'll turn it up. So, <laughs> so, so Ken Berry, this is what you get, man. So, <laughs> anyway. Uh. Anyway, it wasn't until Mama's family that we really saw the depth of his talent. I think we could all agree on that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not F Troop. I actually have several uh, Carol Burnett DVDs with like episodes with him on it, c- complete uncut. So you get to see him all all dancing, all jumping around. You said uncut? Um, I didn't know. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's Ken Berry. He does spend like five minutes with his shirt it's off. Ken, it's Ken Berry. He does. He does. Um, I forget one that is, but but there is a there – is, is it the scene like after one of the times they fool around, he's in bed, I think? Yes, and then that's the part where she tells him to go to Mammoth, or he tells her to go, she tells him to sleep with Louise, and she's going to go to Mammoth, and I think Mm -hmm. that he does that whole scene just in his PJ bottoms. Yes, and And he looks good. I'm not going to complain. No, that you would think. I bet if you check the ratings, they spiked right there. (laughs) Just right there, everybody knew, everybody could sense (laughs) that he was just in his PJ bottoms. They had it's like yeah we got the Harlem Globetrotter popcorn machine it's a commercial break flip over to oh boy oh my god oh omg om hashtag omg <laughs> even though none of that existed yet hashtag omg yeah turn that up man <laughs> turn it up <laughs> so so yeah so that's we just destroyed that one uh, we destroyed it if yeah. Connie Stevens is listening she's going to be really upset yeah, sorry Connie. We'll do Call Her Mom next. Because they do say at the beginning, I didn't know how old Connie Stevens was when she made this, but they make a point in the beginning of saying that she's 30. And then when I saw her, I thought, is she? But she was only like 34, so she wasn't that much older. I think it's her hair. Yeah. Her hair in the movie somehow makes her. It feels like a, not like, it feels like hair from the 60s or something. So for some reason, I thought she was older. It was a wig. Oh, okay. Well, there you go then. Yeah, Wig wearing, sure. closet lumberjack, RV driving. <laughs> She's breaking all kinds of barriers in this part. <laughs> she is. She is. Icon. Okay, so shall we go on then to our next movie? Let's do it. Okay, so before we go into More Than Friends, let me just tell you a little bit about Penny Marshall, most of which you probably already know because she's been written about and written about because she was a super famous person. She was born in the Bronx. Her uh, film Awakenings was actually only the second film directed by a woman to be nominated for an Oscar. The first one was uh, Children of a Lesser God. I didn't realize that. But, yeah, she actually began directing uh, Laverne and Shirley before she moved into theatrical films. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know that. Her father was an industrial filmmaker. She made her 
film debut in 1968, but TV would end up being her calling in terms of her acting career. She showed up in things in the late 60s and early 70s like Love American Style, That Girl, and Bob Newhart. Um, she was a series regular on a show called Paul Sand, Friends and Lovers, which I'm only noting here because Paul Sand would go on to play her boyfriend on a later episode of Laverne and Shirley. And um, Laverne and Shirley is kind of a family affair. As you all know, Gary Marshall produced, direct, and wrote the show. Of course, he didn't direct and write every episode, but he did produce them all, I believe. His sister, Ronnie, or their sister, I should say, Ronnie Hallen, was a casting director for the series. And their father, Anthony, was a producer on the show as well. Um, Something I thought that was really interesting was that she grew up in a building that has some interesting pedigree. The building she grew up in was actually also the childhood home of Neil Simon, Patty Chayefsky, Calvin Klein, and Ralph Lauren. Holy moly. Yeah, true story. And Robert Klein grew up in the same neighborhood as her, too. So that's a lot of street cred right there for the Bronx or wherever it was I said she was born. She married Rob Reiner in 1971, and he would go on to adopt her daughter from a previous marriage. She had some rough spots early on in her career. She did a shampoo ad with Farrah Fawcett. Lucy! Let me borrow your shampoo. What a roommate. Can't you ever buy your own stuff? Well, Lucy, I'm not exactly dressed to go to the store right now. How convenient. Head and shoulders. I know it really works against your dandruff, but what about my gorgeous hair? Your gorgeous hair will love it. You know, it is the best-selling shampoo in America. Best-selling dandruff shampoo, you mean? Best-selling shampoo of any kind. Because it hates your dandruff, but it also loves your hair. I use it regularly. Well, smells okay. Some kind of lather, too. Know what I think? You think you look adorable. <laughs> Not just that, hon. I think your shampoo did a terrific sexy number on my hair. I love it. I'm glad. Now you could buy the head and shoulders. We're out. Okay. Can I borrow some money? Vera Foss's character was called the pretty girl, and Marsha was called the homely girl, which really upset her. Oh, so Fossa changed in the little stand-in placard to say plain girl as a way to make things a little better. But I don't—I mean, it's better than homely, <laughs> but it's still not great. Um, mm-hmm, and yeah. disparaging because I actually think Penny Marshall is a really beautiful woman. She's just different. Yeah. She supposedly auditioned for the role of Witchy Poo, which blows my mind if that's true. She made the jump to working heavily as a director in theatricals when her friend Whoopi Goldberg asked her to direct Jumping Jack Flash, which I don't think I knew she directed, and I don't know why I didn't know that. Her directing career is legendary. Um, you know, she did Big, A League of Their Own, and of course Awakenings, and those are just some of the films she made, but those are loved by so many. Awakenings is amazing, but that's not a movie you want to see more than once. It's so heart-wrenching. But the first two that I mentioned, yeah. Big and yeah. A League of Their Own, are iconic. Here's a quote from Penny Marshall about uh, what, what she thinks makes a good film. She said, quote, I like something that tells a story or tells me something I didn't know. It should have humor in it or it should have heart. And if it doesn't, I'll make it have heart. So that's kind of how she uh, approached her directing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Washington Post said something about her. I'm just going to read a, look about two paragraphs uh, from this article they wrote about her that I thought was really interesting. So um, setting aside the fact that she literally played a character called Liberation Lady in the forgotten 1971 TV movie The Feminist and the Fuzz, also with Farrah Fawcett, um, or that she visited um, the feminist bookstore in Portlandia, perhaps the most feminist character she ever portrayed is her most popular, Laverne DeFazio. Laverne was not a television character who was out burning bras or beating her 
chest in the name of feminism. Instead, she embodied its ideals. The show was about two women who roomed together and worked as bottle cappers on the production line of a fake shots brewery. The sitcom shared a certain DNA with the Mary Tyler Moore show, which preceded it by six years, but it had one especially significant difference. While Moore, while Moore's character, Mary Richards, was a single working woman, something that was rare on television, she held the white-collar job of an associate producer for a television news program. Laverne and Shirley worked in the traditionally masculine blue-collar world of beer making. Laverne didn't have many stereotypical feminine traits. Much of the show's humor derived from the fact that she was terrible at household chores like cooking. I thought that was interesting. So apparently Penny Marshall really like didn't want to embrace the the term feminist. And I think that also happened with Mary Tyler Moore. And so especially with Mary Tyler Moore, when she passed away, there was like this push and pull with people because uh, the term feminism, I use it a lot. Uh, but people like think... Th- I don't know. People have different ideas of what feminism is. And some people think what it is, and that's just somebody who's looking for equality in something, preferably the workforce, but also in your marriage or in other aspects of your life, just equality. But a lot of people think it means something like taking over or the term feminazi comes to mind or something radical, right? And those do exist, and I don't have a problem with radical feminism, but, um, but, but I think when somebody like Mary Tyler Moore, who's from a different generation, is gets labeled with the term, I think that all the different definitions we have in our head sometimes clouds what they were really doing. And so I don't know that Laverne, uh, Laverne, I don't know that Penny Marshall rebuffed the term because of the way it was perceived in her generation, or if it, she just didn't really feel like she was feminist at all, but just by the very fact that she was the second female ever to get nominated for a directing Oscar makes her a feminist because she's groundbreaking. And because just making movies as a woman in Hollywood, especially in the, even the 80s and 90s, makes you a feminist. Mary Tyler Moore owned her own production company, and it was huge, and she had several hit series through it, and she ran an empire. That kind of makes her a feminist because there wasn't a lot of women running those types of businesses back then. So, so I don't want to give them terms that they don't want to use, but to say that they're empowering I think might be correct. Um, and I think Penny Marshall, not just in what she did with her career, but yes, as Laverne DeFazio really did embody this sense of female empowerment that I know I latched onto as a kid. And I've always found it really important because of that. Uh, she did actually dabble in the subject of feminism in some of her TV movies. Um, the couple takes a wife is a movie she made early on. She did a movie called, these are, now she had small parts in these. She didn't star in them. She was in a movie called Let's Switch with Barbara Felton and Barbara Eden about a housewife and a woman who runs a magazine and they switch places and find out what it's like to live the different life. Um, then she was also in a movie called Wives. Uh, later, she kind of challenged her pratfalling image with um, movies like Love Thy Neighbor, which is a romance comedy with John Ritter, but which involves very little physical comedy. It's all sort of very character driven. And it's a lot more drama than it is comedy, I think. And then she did a movie called Challenge of a Lifetime, which I haven't seen yet. But it's about a woman who gets divorced. She's in her mid 30s. And she decides to uh, enter a triathlon. And then movies about how she, like, uh, becomes successful at that. Um, And her last appearance as an actress was on The New Odd Couple in 2016. And she passed away just a few weeks after Ken Berry on December 17, 2018. That was a very dark day for me, guys. I'm a huge fan of Penny Marshall, mostly for her... uh, portrayal of Laverne that's a character I've always felt really close to and I've always strived to sort of be a little like Laverne even though we're all friends here right I'm a little more of a Shirley 
<laughs> I, I hate to admit it, but I am a little more of a Shirley. I'm more of an idealist and a romantic, but um, but I love Laverne, and I loved I all, boy crazy like Laverne. I think we all know that, but um, but yeah, I've always she's always been really close to my heart, and the idea of living in a world with no Penny Marshall, I think, is the equivalent of how a lot of people felt um, when Carrie Fisher passed away. It's just. Yeah. They're just important people, and um, and I, I just love her so much, and I'm really sad that she's not here anymore. And I'm really glad that we're going to uh, be talking about this movie, um, More Than Friends, because it's a movie that I saw as a child several times, and I just loved it so much, because Penny Marshall can do no wrong, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, Dan, if you didn't like this movie, heads are going to roll. But anyway, go ahead and give us a synopsis. Oh, boy. All right. I'm not going to go too in-depth here because the, the movie covers – it goes from 58 to about 71. And so I'm not going to hit every single beat. I'm just going to try to speed through it so we can get actually get to talking about it. It's the story. It's, it's set – well, it's set mainly in the Bronx. And it's uh, two folks, Maddie Perlman and Alan Corcus. And it is told from the point of view of Alan who is writing a novel about him and Maddie. And it begins in 1958. Uh, it actually begins with them. Uh, I, I I don't know. I believe they're coming. They're leaving their prom or it's some sort of big school thing. They're graduating class of 58 from James Monroe uh, High School. And uh, they're going. They're actually walking down the street singing in the still of the night together. And they wind up at a party where they kind of stand around awkwardly as everyone makes out. And they, they profess themselves to be great friends. But when Alan says, hey, do you want to make out? Maddie's kind of, all right. And they go to a bedroom together, and it doesn't go that well. And she reveals that Alan isn't very sexy and that her her, her standard of sexiness is Yule Brenner. And Alan points out that he's going to be bald soon <laughs> and breaks out into some, I believe, something from uh, something from the king and I, I believe, which doesn't fully convince her. But they're, they're, um, they're, they're very much like, yeah, best of friends teetering on uh, romantic uh, engagement, and then uh, we meet. We, we meet after that. We meet um, Maddie's mother, who we, we learn that Maddie wants to be an actress, and Maddie's mother is sort of the standard. Uh, no, you don't want to be an actress. You want to go to school. You want to get a job. You want to get married. You want to do this. She's constantly belittling her daughter. I think she's only in two scenes, but they are heavy on the belittling. Uh, and then we cut uh, a little bit later to college. And we get some great stuff where Maddie is um, – uh, she's going to her first audition. And she's she's changed her name from Maddie Perlman to Madeline Peru, uh, although she forgets that when she's actually up on the stage. And the director is Howard Hessman, and he kind of um, is is – interested in i guess her talent and her a little bit and puts her in this really pretentious play and there's this this great scene where alan who is very he's he, he he's rob reiner he's very sort of straight laced it talks to maddie about the play and then uh they end up meeting up with mr howard hessman rob, maddie you were tray terrific this evening really oh you really think so oh yes you definitely have that je ne sais quoi oh um Avery, I'd like you to meet my friend Alan Corcus. Alan, this is Avery Salmonella. Alan Avery. Hello. Hi, how are you? Fine. You have a ring in your ear. Yes. Did you enjoy the play? I didn't understand it. You must be very shallow. We're trying to show man's inhumanity to man. See, the oppression of the capitalistic society on the working man. In essence, we have here the existential proletariat. Oh, is that what it meant? Yes. 
then I didn't like it. Well, you're wrong. Maddie, I trust we'll see you at the opening night celebration at my loft this evening. Oh, Avery, I wouldn't miss that for anything in the world. So wonderful to meet you, Alvin. Alvin. It's close enough. Bye. See you later. <laughs> that's actually such a good I, I, I didn't want to laugh because I was playing the soundbite but it's just it's so yeah. funny how it has been so good everybody is so like good it. in this movie yeah I, I, I forgot his fact that the fact that his name is Avery Salmonella that's right well there you go that's all you and and uh, like like I said, I'm not going to go into every event, but sort of the next big one is that Avery – Maddie is interested in Avery, but Maddie's a virgin and Avery isn't interested. So Maddie and Alan have this wonderfully awkward scene where they go to a motel together for an hour and they end up talking a bit. And eventually you know, they end up, up having sex. Um, but um, Maddie ends up uh, sort of after that point going away and she gets i forget if if she i forget if she goes to la at that point or whether she just gets a she gets an acting job in the area but he doesn't see her for some time and he becomes a school teacher teaching english he wants to write the great american novel as we all do uh but he's kind of given up on that and he's, he's teaching english and then one day after having not seen her for uh, a few years i would say from his hair loss um he uh she shows up and she's at the uh, in the principal's office Alan? Maddie! What are you doing here in the principal's office? I was banned. <laughs> I don't believe it, Maddie Perlman! I, I, I saw you on TV yesterday! Oh, I was terrible. I was gonna call you, and now you're here. What a coincidence. Maddie, Maddie, uh, uh, are you, uh, can you wait a few minutes? I'm in the middle of my last class. I'll be back in about 20 minutes, okay? Sure. I don't believe it. I can't get over it. Maddie <laughs> Perlman. Maddie Perlman! Hey, everybody! This is Maddie Perlman! We're all friends! We lost our virginities together. <laughs> I'll, I'll be back in a little while. Just wait for me, okay? So when I rewatched this movie last week, <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that scene clearly. That's the scene I remember the most from this movie. It's it's it was hilarious even when I was ten. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, and. and- and what happens here is the rest of the movie is sort of um, uh, they they sort of settle in together. They seem to be very much in love. They move in together, but then Maddie becomes um, uh, unhappy and unsettled by uh, at one point because her mom um, is is really unpleasant to her. Uh, but she becomes unsettled and she doesn't like the routine that her and Alan have fallen into. And she leaves for uh, L.A. and then she comes back. And I think I think. She she leaves for quite some time, and then when she comes back, I believe that's the time when she comes back with a story about meeting Terry Christopher, who's played by Michael McKean, and um and it's uh, Michael McKean with the long beautiful long blonde yes. hair singing. We'll talk about the song he's singing shortly, but he sings this absolutely awesome rock and song. And there's a great scene where um, uh, uh, Maddie becomes his old lady, and they're kind of sitting around in their pad, and he's just strumming his guitar. And these two really young gals named Wind and Sky come over to um, spend a sexy afternoon. Oh, you want to see Terry, huh? Who are you? Sky. I'm Wind. Sky and Wind. Terry, there's a Miss Sky and a Miss Wind to see you. Hi. Hi. Hey, this is uh, this is Maddie. This is my old lady. You're really beautiful. Oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. 
We're all beautiful. No. No. Jonas Salk is beautiful. Albert Einstein is beautiful. The rest of us, we're just cute. Well, are we going to have a scene or what? A what? You know, all of us getting it on together. You mean like getting it on? She's taking it off. <laughs> that scene is so funny. And That's, it's, yeah. it's interesting because I, I didn't really... I knew obviously Lenny and Squiggy did numbers together, but I never think of Michael McKean as being like a musician, but obviously because of Spinal Tap, right? And this movie has yes, a very yeah. Spinal Tappy feel because it's really just vignettes of things happening. Yes, across. Yes. Yeah, it, yeah. In, instead of a tour, it's across a life. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really amazing the way they put it together. But um, I was going to tell you about one of the girls, and now I can't remember if it's Wind or Sky, but the blonde. Uh, did you recognize her, Dan? Uh, I feel like I did, but you better tell me. Okay, that is Babs from Bad Ronald, the youngest daughter. Oh, of course. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. She grew up. Yeah. She grew up. She grew up. She sure did. She sure did. Sky or wind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> They're both fantastic. Wow. So the the, re- the rest of the movie is 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 just a, it's it's a series of scenes with sort of her coming back into his life and leaving again and going to LA, she gets a job on a, like, I think it's, I think it's a sitcom called three girls in the sky where she plays a wacky stewardess and she's going to get married and he's writing his novel. And then it all sort of ends on a bridge very much with a, like um, Maddie wanting to be with him and, and him not being convinced. And he's got his novel there and just a lovely, lovely scene on the bridge, which is, which, you know, I'm not. We'll we'll probably ruin it shortly, but I didn't know whether they were going to stay together or not at that moment. But I'll I'll just leave it there, and we can chat about more than friends. You know, you're so right about that because I hadn't seen this since I was a kid, so I couldn't remember if they ended up together or not. And I was, when it gets to the end, I'm definitely like, is it going to happen or isn't it? Because they've had so many ups and downs and breakups and get backs togethers that it was hard to really predict where this film was going to go, which is really great because so many romantic comedies, you know how it's going to end, you know? And so the end isn't the most important thing, but here it's actually a little suspenseful what's going to happen. And I thought that was kind of impressive in terms of the writing. Um, But anyway, Dan, I know that you hadn't Mm -hmm. seen this before. So why don't you go ahead and tell me what you thought of it? Okay. Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, I watched it twice, and um, uh, sort of knowing where it was going the second time, I, I did enjoy it more. I, um, I know uh, Rob Reiner co-wrote uh, the teleplay with his writing partner Philip Mishkin, who I know best. They wrote the All the Way, which, which actually, which is the um, sort of pilot for Happy Days, oh. the first episode of Happy Days. Um, oh, I didn't know that. And, uh, with Gary Marshall. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're on. That's the, it's the episode with Mary Lou something or other, and um, Richie goes over to her house to read like Mickey Spillane to her or something, and he's blowing in her ear, <laughs> and because they say she goes all the way, but she she doesn't, so they end up playing chess. But then the Fonz gets mad because he heard they went all the way, and he gets a date with her. And there is a moment in this where um, Alan is walking out of his classroom because here's Maddie is waiting in the principal's office, and someone yells out, "Hey, Mr. Corcus, does she go all the way?" And I thought, "Hey, is that a reference to? Well, it might be, it might not be." Um, but I really liked it. It's sort of in my mind, this being '78, it's sort of the. I'm not a huge romantic comedy guy. I don't know the history of all all that well, but um, 
I mean, obviously, romantic comedies per se have been around since Hepburn and Tracy were arguing back in the the, the 40s. Um, but I, I think sort of the modern romantic comedy, I'm not sure where it starts. I always used to say When Harry Met Sally, but I wasn't, I'm not sure, sure. on that, which, which, of course, Rob Reiner directed. And and I always thought, like, um, when, I, when I see it in my mind with romantic comedies, it's sort of like Annie Hall is to When Harry Met Sally as, like, Halloween is to Friday the 13th. Because Annie Hall is nonlinear. It ends um, more or less unhappily and uh, is not something like I, I, I worked with a woman who the only movie she she would watch were romantic comedies. And she gave me very specific lists of what ha- certain things had to happen in each one. And if they didn't happen, she hated it. And she asked me about Annie Hall. And I said, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite good. If you like romantic comedies, I don't know if you'll love this one because it doesn't hit all those points. They don't stay together in the end. Uh, but you, it's interesting to watch. And so I, I like the fact that More Than Friends is a it's a linear Annie Hall, but I think it also harkens to what would happen with Men, when Harry met Sally, hmm. where it's 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 all these scenes of these two folks who might get together, they might not get together, they might stay together. Uh, whereas Annie Hall, they are together, but the 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 nonlinear approach to it throws you around so much and in so many different places. It's 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 unsettling whereas in more than friends it really is most of the movie is just uh jim burroughs uh, the director puts a lot less uh camera movement into this than jerry paris does jerry paris is almost like okay it's a klein schmidt so i have to overdo <laughs> it on moving the camera around but but this this there there is camera stuff and uh, there is movement and stuff but a lot of the great scenes in this are just sort of setting the camera down and letting letting penny marshall and rob reiner just act and just do their thing, and I just found it delightful. And and the vignettes are great, and and the moments are great. And there's a couple like heart wrenching bits. You know, the looks on on Rob Reiner's face on occasion just breaks my heart. And then the final moment where Penny Marshall is, I you know I won't say exactly what she says to to Alan Alan, but there's a moment right at the end where they make the big decision to stay or go, where she's just looking at him and she says something to him, and I I teared up. I thought it was, it was really lovely. And the final more or less line from Alan as it's all over and they're kind of the cameras pulling back and the two of them are walking away. The final line is just like perfect or I, I think it's the final line but it's just perfect so i think i think it's um i think it's really delightful and if you like romantic comedies this is sort of in in between what they used to be and kind of what they are now but they're a little it's a little smarter i think maybe than than a lot of the ones i've seen but and these two are wonderful i could watch them all day so yeah thumbs up big thumbs up yeah this was great to revisit it um i just remembered as a kid loving it probably because i just love penny marshall so much but i remember laughing like that scene we lost our virginities together like i remember that there were things that just made me laugh so hard and even though it's pretty adult in terms of the subject matter i think kids could get a lot out of it because it's not necessarily full of physical humor but there's that great scene where she goes to the baseball game and somebody keeps throwing a frisbee (laughs) <laughs> and then she's like taking yeah. off different things because it's like getting hot or whatever so and her wig comes off at one point and like like it's just it's just <laughs> funny moments and also one of the vignettes we we should mention is the one with Daphne Coleman and Claudette Nivens where she moves yeah. to LA mm-hmm. and she has an affair with um, Daphne Coleman I don't think she knows he's married and and the wife comes home and just the interplay between the three of them is hilarious like first of all he's in his 50s but he's told her he's 43 and He's he's gonna die on that hill, guys. 
He's going to die on that hill. He's going to be 43 <laughs> no matter what. And Claudette Nivens is like calling mm-hmm. Penny Marshall's character Maddie like a slut, but then like, would you like some coffee? And then, <laughs> and then Maddie's yeah. like gets up out of bed and Demi Coleman's like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm going to get some coffee. Like, <laughs> like she can't believe he's even questioning <laughs> what she's going to do. And so like, there's like these really great like flashbacks to like bad romance. And there's Michael McKean is hilarious. And, and Howard yeah. Hessman, they just have one scene each, these actors, and they just, they're so good. And Joey Pants is in it as the best friend and he's wonderful. Yeah. It's just the cast uh-huh. Uh-huh. is so good and it's just it's such a likable film. It's just like you like the characters. When they're awkward, you're uncomfortable, you can mm-hmm. feel like even though they're like thirty playing seventeen mm-hmm. year olds, you you don't really question it like you would yeah. a lot of other movies. It's like it's so mm-hmm. natural in terms of the acting and they and the way they were with each other. Obviously they had real chemistry because they were a real life couple at this point. It's just, you just want to watch them. You just don't, you don't even care that it's like, can't physically be 17. She can't physically be 17. You know what I mean? And, um, and it, it, mm-hmm. it just yeah. it occurred to me about the mom because she wrote that book, My Mom is Nuts, which I haven't read. But, um, I don't know if her mom really treated her like that or not, or if that's just a play on her mom and a lot of it's fictional. But that was hard. She was not nice yeah. at all. And it was great to see Maddie overcome that. Like, she didn't even listen to her mom. She was like, you know what? I'm going to be Madeline Peru, yes. and I'm going to do it. And that was really cool. But anyway, so, yep, so yep. these are just really likable, strong characters that may have a hard time getting things started. But they're both really focused on, if it's not each other, then they're both really focused on what they want to do in other aspects of their life and they go for it. And that's super cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just a really delightful yeah, yeah. movie. When I, the opening scene set in 58, um, uh, Penny Marshall looks great. And, uh, and Rob Reiner, they give him a lot of hair <laughs> and, uh, he looks, he, he's, he's got his big old baby face on. And it's funny as by time that scene was done, cause it's probably like 10 or 15 minutes, I think at the beginning yeah. of the film, I don't know how many, but, but it's, it's a, wonderfully wonderful scene and when they actually cut to him like several years later and he's got he's starting to lose the hair i was like oh yeah that's right he looked like that in 1978 (laughs) i forgot because i was actually convinced i I, they did such a nice job i was completely there um seeing him uh, the younger him in 1958 he had this wonderful dumbfounded look that all 17 year old boys have i think yes yeah yep he had that a lot (laughs) yeah he did and two of the two of my Two of my favorite scenes are the ones where they're trying to make out and then the ones where they're trying to have sex because it's just awkward and, and they're just – they have these great talks together and it's just some great dialogue and two two fine actors just enjoying some good dialogue and just being awkward together. And uh, it's it's um, it's um it's because it's, it really is just the two of them sitting there for five minutes, six, seven, eight minutes, something like that. It's really just – it's so fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. Oh, and then the uh, the uh, the 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 thing I love about the scene with um, uh, with uh, Dabney Coleman is that Maddie and Maddie and Josh Harrington are underneath the sheet, 
and the clearly naked and just the way they keep maneuvering around yeah. underneath the sheet. Maddie keeps maneuvering around to try to get to her clothes. But right when she's about to get to them, he moves. So she has to get up and she's got the sheet wrapped around her. It's she does, And she also does a great slapstick bit where she accidentally wraps her purse around a light oh, pole, right. a lighting pole. Um, uh, on the stage and she's trying to act and uh, put the lighting pole back up. And uh, yeah, there are just so many great moments. And speaking of that, there's like um, when, uh, yeah, when he's walking with his friend, Ralphie, uh, Joe, Joey, Joey, Pantaleone, Pant, Pants, Joey Pants, um, uh, there, uh, there, there's a great bit where he's saying, I'm going to ask Maddie to marry me. And then he's, he's, he's like on the street, practicing and he almost runs into like a pole like a construction pole and um, and ralphie says something like you're going to be okay yeah there aren't any poles <laughs> in our apartment and i thought is that poles as in polish people or but no he meant poles like that but it was there's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, he made that joke about like oh that pole wasn't there last time they just put that pole up it's a new pole yeah, like yeah. he was like really obsessed with like yeah. it wasn't there guys i didn't mean to walk into it yeah he's he's like that's a really <laughs> awkward character i think but he also is very honest about mm-hmm. things too obviously um we lost yes. our virginities together but like um but he's so much fun. He's so much fun. And they're so adorable together. And it's it's a really sweet film. And it makes me sad that they didn't make it as a real-life couple because they were just the cutest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think around this time was one of the times when – it could have been a year or so before when uh, – because Penny Marshall was on Battle of the Network Stars t- twice, three times, I forget. And in one of them, when they do the little vignette where they, they – do the celebrity profile they go to her and rob reiner's new house and the house is still being built but rob reiner and and penny marshall walk us through the house this is our beautiful kitchen these are this is the master bedroom but it's all on it's all wood it's all none of it's finished yet and they're very charming together i think it was probably 77 and um how long were they married uh 10 years oh uh yeah they're they're real sweet in this and michael mckean's song is is one of those great um uh it's a very very pre-spinal tappy sort of song because the the theme behind the song is all the unrest in the world i mean i guess this is this is probably like around 69 or 70 something like that um and it's all the unrest in the world with all everybody all the unrest but he doesn't care because they're over there. <laughs> and basically the theme of the song is as long as those people who are who are having troubles don't get near me, I'm just fine. <laughs> which is a perfect sort of spinal tap song which could have been a um a f- sort of, you know, protesty folk song but is the opposite of it. It's really it was really awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. I never think about Michael McKean and Rob Reiner's relationship, but they must have gotten along really well because they did this and spinal tap and i just i just never think of them together i guess it's because you don't see rob reiner in spinal tap so you're not really like thinking about it but yeah they made quite the duo and i guess the trio because obviously lenny and laverne i mean i can't be the only one who secretly wanted them to get together (laughs) yes of course of course (laughs) yeah lenny just needs to clean clean himself up a bit yeah like there was no hope for squiggy but lenny lenny yeah. yeah he had a future (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he did, did. I'd love to. I'd love to see. Yeah, what, what happened to Lenny? Did they do that in the final episode? Did they do like a like a Animal House type thing where they said <laughs> Lenny twenty years later? No, I don't think or, so. Works for works for Apple. Or, um, oh, that's too bad. And and two, this was around the time of um, when Lenny and Squiggy did their album. Yes. Uh, where they did what is it? Um, 
yeah, the the Lenny and the the Squig Tones, yep. I think, which is a pretty funny album, and it's and the backing band is more or less Spinal Tap, which is cool. Christopher Guest is there, and and um, I th- oh, I forget if Harry Shearer is there. He might not be, but Christopher Guest is definitely there. So cool, yeah. It was it's kind of an interesting little club yeah. there. I guess I never really think about, but um, they all played so well off each other. Yeah, I was really charmed by this, and I do love the fact that um, I said it. I said it's linear. It's not completely linear because, like, the scene with uh, Michael McKeon happens a few months before she tells it. Same with the Dabney Coleman story. So it does hop around in time a bit, and I, I like the fact too that Alan is very um, insecure and looks dumbfounded a lot and always seems to be like, he's going to propose to Maddie after how many years? The exact moment when she gets called up to star in Three Girls in the Sky and she's moving immediately to L.A. You know, he's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Until he finishes his novel. Then sort of the moment, which is only like the last 10 minutes, but the moment he finishes his novel, he has kind of a self-assuredness to him. Because Maddie immediately immediately calls up when he's done with the novel saying, hey, I'm I'm back in town. You know, do you want to meet? And he's like, I I don't know, Maddie. I I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. And he seems much more assured of himself than he ever has been. And I guess it's finishing that novel. You get that out of you. And I, I could say, having written some novels, the, the moment when he finishes typing and he pulls the last page out and sets it down on the pile, he doesn't – He it's great because I could – I recognize that um, I'm done thing, which is not you jump up and down and scream and yell. You're just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you just let me put it in a binder and show it to someone. Because it's exhausting. So why don't you tell us about the end, Dan? Uh so the ending is yeah, so she 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 does go out to Hollywood and she's a star in this three girls in the sky and she's gonna marry the producer who doesn't wear socks. That really bothers um Alan and uh his pal Ralphie. But in the end, as soon like I said, as soon as Alan finishes his novel, Maddie is back in the Bronx somewhere. Uh, or is she in Brooklyn? I forget. She's somewhere in, in there. And she says, come on down. I'd like to see you. She actually says, I found some great graffiti for us to read. And he says, I don't think so. And she says, well, it's more or less like if I'm not there in 45 minutes, I'm not going to be there. And right when she's about to leave, he shows up and they have a discussion. And, and, and he shows her the book. And the book is about them. And at the end of the book, she says, so do they get together? And he says, no, she marries like a successful producer or something like that. And and she's, well, you know, why don't they get together? Because those characters wouldn't get together. And there's, and the moment that teared me up was the, and I'm, I'm going to forget, I should have written down the exact wording of it, but it's more or less she says, you know, like, like we should be together. Um, you know, if, if you don't love me and you don't, you don't think that, look me in the eyes and tell me, just look me in the eyes. And he's kind of looking her in the eyes, and it just oh, oh, just broke my heart. <laughs> and it just they're, they're together, and it and it ends, and they're walking away. And I forget, I didn't write down the words, but the narration says something like, um, uh, "I I I'm going to get it wrong." Oh, do you remember what the final no, I mean, narration was? I'm I'm going to get it wrong. Why don't you just paraphrase it? Is it? I, I it's like if you're thinking that I'm going to say that her and I lived happily ever after. Well, you're right. Or yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Or it's the opposite of that. No, I forget, no but that's what he says. Yeah, it's just a really lovely... Okay, that's what he says. Okay. Yeah, it's because he says, if you... Because they're walking away, it's just like, if you think I'm going to tell you that Maddie and I lived happily ever after, well, you're right. And it's just a lovely moment. And it's just... It's real sweet. And it kind of affirms um, all the craziness that they've been through in the past 15-ish years or so. And you hope that they will stay together. 
Uh, if if it's if it's th- th- so if it ends in seventy one when they got married, we know how this ends. But it doesn't end that way at this point. No. So when it was made in seventy eight, and when it made in seventy eight, they're still together. So we can keep that, hold that close. Oh yes, so good. But yeah. I don't know if there's much left to say about it. It's one of those. I think it is on DVD. <laughs> so I think people should maybe see it. Oh, is it? I oh, think oh, it oh. is. I think it is. Um, and. I think people should see it, and I think of a lot of the TV movies we talked about, I think this is one that people who maybe don't have a flair for TV movies might get something out of it because of the powerhouse actors, yeah, it's, it's, and we're also dealing with two powerhouse filmmakers making a movie together. So it's a little different than TV movies were at that stage of the 70s. It's got a different feel to it. Yeah, Definitely. So, um, definitely, yeah, it, it does have a very different feel, yeah. So, I recommend everybody see it. And also, Dabney Coleman is the most palest guy ever from like the shoulders <laughs> down, <laughs> like his face is tan, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but the rest of it is really pale and it's almost distracting. <laughs> and <laughs> and everybody should see it. And also, I love Claudette Nivens, yeah. who plays his wife, and it was really great to see her do comedy because I, I think I've seen her more in dramas. Um, she was on like, um, uh-huh. Uh, Melrose Place, and she was on. Uh, she's in that TV movie, The Possessed. I think is the name of it. From the it would have been a year or so before this, which is like a you know Exorcist ripoff with Joan Hackett, and which is really good. I don't want to say a ripoff like it's bad, but um, this was fun to watch her sort of play the super glamorous, uh, really funny character. Um, yeah, everybody's great in it, and also Joey Pants. Joey Pants, I know from the Final Terror. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I know he's done other things like The Matrix, <laughs> but I always think yeah. of him in the Final. Yeah. terror yeah. you know and it's funny to see what yeah. a range he has an actor and he's completely adorable in this yeah he's just such a sweetheart and he's a good yeah. buddy and like everybody's super likable mm. even even dabney coleman who's a philanderer is hilarious mm-hmm. i love that he wants to and i keep using that phrase but he wants he's going to die on that hill about his age and yes i feel yeah. you dabney yeah. i feel you I know what that's like. So, <laughs> but anyway, there's just some really funny moments in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think uh, the the one of the things that always um, the that I kept thinking of, and I wrote down several times. I wrote the word billowing oh, yeah. because during the second scene with Maddie's mom. When Maddie is saying that she's going to do her thing, she's going to go out there. You know, she you you see like not only do you see her on Three Girls in the Sky being wacky, but you also see like in a toilet bowl commercial <laughs> where they right. won't let her say the word toilet. And um and and uh, but the mom says something like, uh, you know, you're never going to be in one of those commercials where you run down a beach and your hair is billowing behind you. Your hair doesn't billow. And she keeps throughout that, you know, when she meets wind and sky and they say how great her hair is. She says, no, nah, it doesn't billow. Yeah. And there's this and I never really thought of Penny Marshall's hair as billowing, but I don't think it needs to. No, some 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 folks hair needs to billow. And not all do. No. But this this is loaded with yeah, the, there are a lot of great lines in it. A lot of funny moments. There's a funny uh, fortune cookie oh, scene. Yeah. I, w- I won't say what it is, but there's there's a scene where they read fortune cookies, which is very funny. And there is the great moment where uh, Maddie is reading through, like, I guess she's checking for auditions and stuff. And she's l- or looking at variety and something. And she's complaining that her career isn't going anywhere. And she says, um, I'm not going anywhere here. I'm not, I'm not, what is it, Bafo or 
uh, what is oh, it? I think Bafo she said Bafo, or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm not Bafo or something else. I'm Stinko. And he goes, no, you're not Stinko. And it's just just the way they say these lines, just the these wonderfully silly lines. You know, like um, when he's talking to Howard Hessman, then I didn't like it. Just the delivery of these lines. They're so there's so much fun. And then you do get several montages in there, like moving into their apartment yeah. oh, together. Oh, cute. Yeah. Which is super cute. And then there's one where they're playing like stoop ball and out and he's trying to pick her up and put her in like fire hydrant that's that's spraying water everywhere, which is a it's it's just really it's really charming. I um I I'd love to um I, yeah, I'd love to get a copy of this. I'd love to see it again. And uh but yeah, thank you for thank you for picking this one. I, I don't think I'd ever heard of this until, and I didn't know what it was until I sat down two days ago to watch it. And I was I'm watching because it starts off with pictures and and rob reiner's voice and i thought is that rob reiner's foot is that penny marshall like little baby penny marshall what yeah she looks exactly the same you'll know her <laughs> the moment you see her yeah but yeah this was the this was delightful yeah this was one that just played on our local channel all the time and i used to watch it with my dad and we just we loved it but for years i couldn't remember the name of it i just knew that penny marshall and rob reiner had made a movie and i don't even think i knew that they were actually a couple when i saw it um mm -hmm. it wasn't until later that someone told me that and so periodically like through the years i would say god what was that movie with penny marshall and rob reiner and then i'd get on imdb <laughs> oh yeah i need to see that again and then something else would happen and i'd remember the movie so it's unfortunate that she had to pass for me to sort of get prompted to watch it but i'm glad uh, that yeah. we did watch it and um i'm glad i got to revisit it after i don't know three decades so um yeah definitely i think this is one people would really really enjoy and um it's quite good and i think maybe if every man needs one came out after this they could have the kleinschmidt could have maybe sat down and taken some notes <laughs> and maybe oh yeah maybe just calmed calmed himself down yeah, yeah maybe fix the script a little but as it is it was not a bad double feature i don't think no no it was not Okay, so let me do a little background on this, and then we'll get to feedback. This is another concise show. I don't know what we're doing, but okay. Yeah, yeah this is a stuff. I, I guess, could it be, I mean, like, is it romantic comedies that did that with this one? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think the first one is very limited in what's going on in it, and so there's not an awful lot to say outside of the yeah. just the basics. But this movie, it's it really needs to be seen to be enjoyed, but I think we kind of talked about all the great moments in it, and why it's worth seeing yeah. so you know just check it out but anyway here's here's a little bit about the making of it so this one has a little bit better production history because it had rob reiner and penny marshall involved in it it was originally titled love me and i'll be your best friend it aired on october 20th 1978 on abc it ran against on cbs the incredible hulk and something called flying high which i think is a show about stewardesses which is really funny because she's on a show about stewardesses in the movie and on nbc it ran against rockford files and the eddie cap mysteries it went into production in early june um it made the trades it aired in october so that's just kind of an example of how quickly they put these movies together um dan pointed out this was a reiner mishkin production mishkin worked on both all in the family and the odd couple and laverne and shirley and apparently happy days and as we mentioned earlier this was directed by james burroughs he was uh primarily an episodic director but he had done some tv movies uh carl gottlieb the screenwriter of jaws plays paul in this i don't remember who paul is but that is the writer of jaws and as i mentioned cindy fisher plays wind i see my notes now she was babs and bad ronald she is actually married to doug davidson who plays paul on young and the restless um and they've been married for like 
30 years now, and they're amazing. So uh, More Than Friends was actually part of a resurgence of shooting films in New York City. Other movies produced that summer in the city of New York include All That Jazz, Night of the Juggler, Kramer vs. Kramer, and The Bell Jar. Uh, at the time that uh, they were making More Than Friends, Reiner was gearing up for a new series called Free Country, which didn't go anywhere, obviously. I've never heard of it. And Marshall was on the number one show in America, of course, Laverne and Shirley. Um, Kevin Thomas of the LA Times loved it. He said it was exceptional, rewarding, and unpretentious. He felt that it was really ambitious in the way that it was really about two people just talking through most of the film. And, you know, what's so interesting about these two movies is that they're both about just two people talking, where characters filter in and out, but they do them so differently that... At, in a way you can compare them and in a way you can't compare them at all so that makes them kind of an interesting duo of films to watch and um i think i mentioned earlier that marshall and reiner got divorced in 1981 so just a couple years after this which is just still breaks my heart and i don't think penny marshall ever remarried yeah but he did adopt her daughter and that must have been the most amazing family mm-hmm. ever <laughs> yeah i would think so yeah it must have been party party central i th- i think i think more than more than friends to me is almost i i guess maybe because of the the book um thing throughout is almost more novelistic where it's a series of of dialogues between two characters whereas every man needs one is more of madcap kind of comedy that doesn't quite know where it's going sometimes yeah it has some problems with it By the way, before I go into the feedback, it should be noted that Nate missed our Valentine's episode last year, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think maybe he's just... Did he miss the year before? I don't know. I'm going to look into that because I think maybe he's trying to skip out on these romance movies. Huh. Nate? He seems like a romantic guy. I don't know. He's getting written up, Have though. you heard his jokes? Read his jokes on <laughs> Facebook? Uh-oh. Yeah, they're not, they're not so romantic, <laughs> but... Um, okay, so uh, we only have two pieces of feedback. The first one is from our friend Tim S. Turner, who, uh, did you, do you remember meeting Tim at my talk, Dan? Yes, hey Tim. Yes, so yes, he came out, guy. which was yeah. great, and it was really awesome to meet him. So he said, I haven't seen more than friends in decades. All I can remember is that I really enjoyed it. It was a real change of pace from the standard romantic comedy, and Reiner and the late Marshall had a delightful chemistry. Plus roles for Howard Hessman, Joe Pantoliano, and the immortal Dabney Coleman really enhanced it from my perspective. He did say it's a shame there's no DVD release, but I, I'm almost positive there's a DVD release. So uh, he should look that up. If he can, I think he should pick it up. And then, of course, we have feedback. Oh, by the way, thank you, Tim. And it was great to meet you again. And let's do some feedback from our good friend, Adam Gordon. Adam Gordon here. And for the movies that I didn't catch in time last month, I had seen Escape from Bogan County when it first aired. But the only thing I remembered was Jacqueline Smith. Upon reviewing, it functioned as a bit of a country musical with plenty of small-town corruption and a secondary theme of insane sexual obsession. My interpretation differed from yours in that I felt that Ambler felt an entitlement of sexual ownership over Maggie. Furthermore, I thought, given the way that the ending was shot, with the panorama of the county being superimposed by Maggie's photo while Ambler shot himself, that Ambler regretted losing possession of Maggie more than losing his county or going to jail. It was ironic when you mentioned that the county should have been named Bowman's County, because I have to say that for the first half of the movie, I thought the surname that was being said was Bogan, not Bowman. It was hard to miss the China Lake murders the first time around, because it got repeated on USA just about as much as the Shawshank Redemption was on TNT. 
The film wanted to portray a battle of wits, but it played out as a one-sided affair, the story of an arrogant cop and his trail of mistakes. I had the feeling that as soon as the entrancing Nancy Everhard came on the screen, that the movie would end in a damsel in distress scenario, and it didn't disappoint. I'm not too familiar with Michael Parks' career, other than his being typecast in Desert Road theme material. He did seem to look down and mumble his way through both pictures. Given the recent passing of Penny Marshall, More Than Friends feels as much as an historic time capsule, especially of 70s New York, as it does a TV movie. Frankly, given their real-life relationship, which broke up soon after this film was made, it was impossible, despite the excellent performances, to see the characters on the screen, rather than Marshall and Reiner themselves. It seems as though, in our culture, that comedy is the only way to express how difficult it is to find someone special and to get out of your own head long enough to realize that. Every Man Needs One sounded interesting. Connie Stevens versus Ken Barry in A Battle of the Sexes, although I suspect that the male chauvinism probably wears out fast in 2019. But this film is super rare. I was only able to find it on a couple of pirate, overly expensive, will burn you a DVD off of a VHS websites. So admittedly, I had to take a pass. One other comment about the upcoming Trapcast. I may poke a little fun at you on Twitter about Charlie Siebert, Amanda, but I've always been on the quote-unquote wrong side of my attractions too. Kate Jackson, Shelley Hack, hell, even Cynthia Stevenson in The Player. So I feel your pain. Thanks again, Amanda. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. But all those women are fabulous. So Thank you, Ed. Just like Charles Siebert. So <laughs> yes. that all works out, doesn't it? Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, thank you for sending in some feedback for the last group of films that we watched. Uh, yeah, it was interesting what you said about sexual ownership with Jacqueline Smith. And I think there's something to be said for that, for sure. Um, and I agree that while I was watching More Than Friends, it is really hard to see them always as the characters that they're playing. Although, although I think yes. Maddie feels yeah. more like a character. I don't, I, yeah, I guess they both do, but, but I am looking at this couple that I knew were really together and that's kind of what I'm looking at and what I want to see, I guess, when I'm watching it, because I thought that they were just so adorable. It was like when Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum were dating. Did you remember that? Like that was like perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And then when it ended, it yeah. was like a heart, <laughs> it was like an international heartbreak. Like, like you know, we all <laughs> cried the day that they broke up, and I kind of feel that way about Penny Marshall and uh, Rob Reiner. Uh, yeah, I it I I think at some point during the movie, I I started thinking of them as their characters, um, but there were the occasional moments where I was like, especially whenever, because because Penny Marshall doesn't look that different throughout the movie, but Rob Reiner, I yeah, think, does. Yeah, he does. And every time they'd have him looking a little more bald, I was like, oh, he's more Rob Reinery than he was previously. <laughs> you're so, so Rob Reinery. You're not a Kleinschmidt, but you are Rob Reinery. Oh, you're, 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 can, I just noticed something. I've, I've got, um, I've got uh, my Alvin Merrill open up here, and I'm on um, the uh, 1964-86 edition, and More Than Friends is movie 1245. Movie 1244 is a movie called Moonlight. Guess who the who wrote it and who's the executive producer? Kleinschmidt. I wish. David Chase. Oh, wow. So he went there from architecture. There you go, and directed by Alan Smithy. <laughs> so, yeah. Does this really say Alan Smithy? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It is directed by Ella Smithy, yeah. Well, that's a that's a recommendation. <laughs> but I, just, I just noticed that. So I, um, not the yeah, same David definitely. Chase as you said. Oh, that's stupid. <laughs> but so anyway, that's mm-hmm. those are our two movies. Um pretty enjoyable double feature. We hope if you get a chance to see them if you haven't that you check them out. Uh our so we're gonna go back and get a little more serious uh with our next two films. Mm. Um we're gonna be doing, I guess, 
I'm qualifying them as pilot movies. Now I'm going to do other pilot movies too, So, but I don't have a unique name for this one yet. I'll probably come up with it hopefully while I'm editing it. But anyway, we're going to be covering the great, the iconic, the fascinating, and the intriguing House on Green Apple Road, which led to the Dan August TV series. Yes. Um, totally different actors. This one starred Christopher George, Burt Reynolds starred in the TV series. And we're also going to watch the second Harry O pilot, Smile Jenny, You're Dead. With uh, oh, David Jansen nice. and Andrea Marcovici, and uh, Zalman King, by the way, is in it. Um, and there's a f- there's a wow. first pilot, but I've never seen it. And uh, Smile Jenny, Your Dead's a little iconic, so I thought I'd go with that one. Plus, I love Hario, and any time I get yeah, me too. where I'm allowed to talk about Hario. I'm going to take it. So that was a childhood favorite. I was a real yes, serious kid because yeah. I used to watch that with Streets of San Francisco like every Saturday afternoon. What was I injecting into my brain? Wow. But th- that was like my big Saturday afternoon. <laughs> um, so anyway, be prepared for those. I'm going to try to get this out by the end of February. So we're hoping to record maybe around the middle of March and get back on schedule. And my um, well, we'll get into it. So anyway, let me tell you what's happening in my life in terms of shameless self-promotion and then we'll go to Dan but this will lead into this podcast as well so I've mostly just been podcasting I did just do a big writing project and I'll let you know when that goes online but I'm not going to say anything about it yet because they haven't published it but um, I'm really excited about it it's actually taking three different things that I love a lot and I mixed them all together and hopefully it came into something coherent that you will enjoy reading and I will let you know about it I've been basically uh, guesting on the Hysteria Continuum over the last month. That's the big thing I've been doing. So we covered Iced Moonstalk- and Moonstalker in two separate episodes. Yay. And then in, and as part of the Patreon, uh, we did Top 3 Horror Hotties. And as a separate episode, we did uh, Dirty Dancing because they're doing a month-long look at non-horror movies. <laughs> and um, that was really fun for me uh, to do Dirty Dancing because I hadn't seen it in a long time. I love it, and it was really great to sort of reconnect with that movie. Now I remember mm-hmm. all the things about it that I love, and Patrick Swayze's a god. Um, and the top three horror hotties probably went off the charts because I had I started remembering all these. Like when I was making the list, I could like only think of five actors, right? And I was like, oh, I must like other guys. Mm-hmm. I must. And then as we were doing the show, I was like, oh, that's right. I'm totally in love with these 5,000 other guys. So I tried to like throw them in there where I could. And it was really fun for me to do. And I think people enjoyed it that have listened to it so far. So, um, Mm -hmm. but the big news is after this episode comes out, uh, probably not before, there will be an episode of my trap cast, which is my Trapper John uh, podcast. Hooray! Yeah, I've been prepping and prepping and prepping. The problem is, is that I don't want to take all of the things that I've learned about the show and just vomited out in the first episode so i'm just trying to figure out what it should be Uh. and where i want to exactly go because i've never done a solo cast before so i'm just really working on that but everything's been done in terms of the research and i've watched the episode a couple times now and i'm ready to give my heart and soul to dr riverside yes i'm ready nice and maybe one day charles (laughs) siebert will grace me with his love we'll find out but anyway so keep an eye out for that and that's really all i have going on right now dan uh eventually super train is well i think by the time you hear this 63 should be up and 63 is covering uh bourbon street beat episode 19 with myself and mitchell hadley from it's about tv uh i am covering episode two of the last precinct from 1986, Stephen J. Cannell, Frank Lupo show. And myself and our friend Amy the Conqueror are talking episode two of Erie, Indiana from 1991. 
And then my I'm doing a one minute with European zombies, which is covering Zombie Lake and Burial Ground minute by minute. I'm in the vicinity of episode 13. And what else is going on? My um my uh my Henningverse book. I've I've got about 105 reviews of the 666 left to do. So I'm I'm getting there. I've got over almost 600 pages written. That's a lot. But it's going to be edited down. Uh, so that's going good. And sort of um, because Amanda is working hard on the Trapcast, I finally started what I've been saying I was going to do for about two and a half years. I've recorded the first episode of Rockin' All oh. Week With You, the Happy Days podcast. It is recorded. It's cover, it covers the Love American Style uh, segment, Love and the TV set, and the first two episodes, All the Way in the Lemon. Um, it's a little lengthy, but it's the first episode, so it's going to be, but I need to, I need to still give it a good listen and make sure it's not horrible. I don't think it is. I think I, I brought a lot of energy to it. So I'm hoping to post that in the next few weeks or something and hopefully do that. It'll be two episodes per show. And hopefully when I get to the non Richie years, Amanda will join me for a few oh, of those yeah. episodes. Oh yeah. Fingers crossed. We should be. <laughs> Which will be fun. It'll be mainly be me on the other ones. Although, like, I could probably get Joanna to join for Christmas episodes. Oh, yeah. I would think, but um, mainly me. That'd be great. So, so that's what's going on here. Just, just uh, hanging out, recording some things, trying to be good and have have a nice life. <laughs> well, good. I hope it is nice. So, <laughs> let me tell you how to get in touch with us yeah. if you would like to tell us about. Um, the upcoming movies we'll be covering or the movies we've already covered or things about TV movies you're interested in, you can look us up on Facebook at the Made for TV Mayhem Show. You can find us on Twitter at TV Mayhem Podcast. You can email us at TV Mayhem Podcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website, um, TV Mayhem Podcast.wordpress.com. And uh, thank you so much for listening. We're going to turn the lights back up. Um, and I think we're done with love for now. Yeah, I think so. For now we got, um, yeah, we're going to green apple road. There ain't no love there. Oh no, there's not. Yeah. So, so we're going to hit the dark side next, but anyway, thanks so much. And we will let you know when our next episodes do. And this time I didn't give much time for feedback because I was traveling and I didn't really have a chance to maintain Mm -hmm. it. So, um, but thanks to everybody who listens and who comments and who likes us and who leaves reviews and blah, blah, blah. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye guys. Oh, the stretches are stretching. Even the doctors are retching. And the children are catching cold But I, I don't care Cause they're over there And as long as they don't come near I'll stay here